Now I know we've got so much to talk about in the tennis world, and again I and again I apologise because the curling world it sucked me in. It it wouldn't let me go. I didn't want to be let. It wouldn't let me go. But now I'm back out the other side. So there is so much going on. But I must start with we've come away for a couple of days to see the in-laws in France. Haven't seen them since last summer. Just a little bit of a break, half-term, post-Winter Olympics, bringing the suitcase upstairs. It was about midnight, turn the light on. I come face-to-face with one of those, one of those hoovers. What are they called again? What, the... A rumba. I came face-to-face. They are huge. I mean, they're big. They do a proper job. Have you seen it in action yet? This, no, I haven't seen it in action. It was just looking at me. It was at the top of the stairs. It was obviously charging. But it is big, so... I've officially seen one. I haven't yet activated it. I've looked at it a couple of times and I've gone up and down the stairs. But I now know for all those people saying, you must have seen one. I've now seen one. And maybe next time I'll have actually used one if you use them. Yeah. Well, you've got to give it a go. Give it a spin. It's not the right word. Use it because you don't do anything. I guess you press a button. You just turn it on. And off it goes. So yeah, it's very smart. Okay, so that's for next week. But this week, it's the fact it's the fact that I <laughs> it's the fact that I've seen one. Uh, tennis wise, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, where, uh, where, where do we start? Holy moly! Where do we do we start? Should we start with the new the new who is going to be the new world number one? Who is going to be the new world number one? Exactly. Uh, on Monday, it is confirmed. It will be Daniel Medvedev. Uh, it was always coming, wasn't it? It was inevitable at yeah. some point. Um, yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah I, I think, you know, just hugely, hugely earned. He's got his Grand Slam title now as well. So delighted for him. I've, I've, just, I've seen him really grow into himself. I really enjoy his interviews, his on-court speeches after winning titles, all the titles that he picks up. His game is obviously fantastic. I think he's going to end up being really, really popular. Um, so, yeah, I'm really, really chuffed that we've got a, a bit of a change at the top. Um, I, does it change? OK, this is my question to you. So we have a new world number one. Yeah. But who is the best player in the world? Right now? Yeah. Medvedev. Who is the but- best tennis player in the world? Medvedev. Really? Djokovic hasn't played. Really? Djokovic hasn't played recently. Well, I suppose. Djokovic okay, hasn't played he was, recently. If he'd I mean, played. Oh, no, that, well, that, you can't say if he'd played because then if he'd been playing, he, he may not have lost to Yuri Vesely and Daniel Medvedev would not be number one next week. I mean, it, that you can't. Okay, so you're legitimately saying that, Djok- um, that Medvedev is the number one, he's the best player in the world right now. Full stop. Look, I think so. Look, what Nadal did, and he's on this wonderful unbeaten run, was absolutely incredible especially the final of the Australian Open Djokovic looked a little bit undercooked and as much as these players want to and and Djokovic is like you know it's not about the other events it's about the Grand Slams they still need events they still need tennis it's very rare we used to see this with the Williams sisters right they didn't play a grass warm-up they'd walk walk into Wimbledon and for a period of time they would win it but it's very rare that can happen especially as Mm. you start to get older and I think we saw that with Novak Djokovic who has been going through so much, whether it be mentally or physically and, and the lack of competitive action. So in terms of yeah, I, I'm gonna give it to I'm gonna give it to Medvedev. You? Yeah, no? no yeah, fair enough. It's been a while since Djokovic's been playing and of course, you know, losing that match to Vesley in the manner that he did. Yeah, I think if everybody was playing right now, uh, on court, then yeah, Medvedev would probably be would be Yay. the best. It's He's not easy first... though. It... He's the first non-big four not to, to be number one who's not Djokovic, Nadal, 
Federer or Murray since 2004. That's incredible, yeah, it's ages, right? Isn't it? It's ages. I mean, that's that's the, he's the fifth active player to reach number one. He's the first Russian male number one since Marit Safin. I mean, this is this is a massive moment. I think. Look, there's a lot going on in the world right now, and largely tennis. Well, it's not important compared to the things that are going on. But in terms of a moment in the sport that we cover, this is huge. It is huge. It, it really is. And and also, I think worth remembering that. He has thoroughly earned it. You know, he won his slam. He beat Djokovic in the final. It was Djokovic, wasn't it? I'm getting so confused. <laughs> <laughs> he beat Djokovic in the final. Um, you know, and he's, you know, he's legitimately been right at the top of the game. And, you know, of course, and he's he's got to his number one thoroughly, thoroughly earned. Um, I think, I think he's absolutely fabulous. I think he's really going to be at the top of the game for a long time. I can't see other players having that level of consistency, whether it's Sitsipas, Varev, whoever it is. I mean, you know, hopefully we get Dominic team back at some point as well. But uh, in terms of a long term, I mean, look, if in 10 years time, Nadal is still winning slams, then okay, this is whatever. <laughs> but I'm, I'm making the assumption that won't be happening. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, yeah, I feel like he's not necessarily going to be number one the whole time. Um, but that, uh, yeah, he's going to be one of the very, very, very best players for 10 years, 15 years, who knows. I think, it, again, we talked about this in the last pod. It was really sad, the press conference after the Australian Open final when he said, you know, little boy's dream died tonight. And those moments that you live for, it wasn't there. And now I'm just going to play for my country. I'm going to play for my family. I'm not going to play for anyone else. I hope that a big part of that was was heat of the moment and, and the emotions. And it, and it settles down a bit because he's, I think he's absolutely fantastic for the sport. And also he wasn't one of those juniors that everyone talks about. You know, he wasn't the, the the junior that we said, right, watch out for this fella. I mean, when the Russians broke through, he wasn't the first to break through. Rublev was made the quarterfinals at the US Open. Then he had a series of injuries. Then Karen Hashanov sort of came charging through and he won Paris and he got all the endorsements and he became the number one Russian. And then Medvedev is kind of very gangly, instead of all arms and legs, a little bit unorthodox, steadily made his way through. He had that incredible summer through autumn autumn through the hard courts and and he's just you now look at Medvedev and, and a little bit like Djokovic you say where's the weakness how do you beat Medvedev you know how do you how, how do, do you, you beat him yeah how do you get through him how do you beat Medvedev and, and if he keeps up that level of consistency and he talked about making those changes didn't he take it more seriously cutting out the desserts cutting out the this and just those little things that he needed to do. He's got the wonderful relationship with his coach that goes back years and years. He's very settled with his wife. You know, all the pieces of the puzzle have come into place for Medvedev. And now he is going to be, by the time some people listen to this, he will already be, when it comes out next week, the world number one. And I think, as you say, it's it's thoroughly deserved. You know, he's been the champion and runner-up in the last two Grand Slams. And he's the first of the next Jenna. He's the first one through, isn't he? He's the one that necessarily wasn't being talked about but he has the one that's made the climb to the top yeah and what I love about Medvedev is the the balance of he is taking it more seriously and you can see that but he still is enjoying things so much you know because we do see it sometimes with players once they get to the top of the game it's less fun being number one number two like it's less fun once you're sort of there and you know you win a tournament your ranking might go down it just it's so annoying it's way more fun when you're flying up the rankings but he does seem to 
be enjoying things. And that's why it was particularly difficult to hear about, you know, him saying that the, the kid inside him had died a little bit uh, in Oz because, you know, he, you know, with the way that he talks about tennis, he's so passionate, the way that he talks to the media, he's interested. I think he's very respectful of people on tour. And um, yeah, I just think uh, he has that really nice balance of knuckling down and getting on with things. But he just feels like you could just go up and chat to him if you saw him in the players' lounge, right? He just seems sort of pretty relaxed, but very focused. And Because sometimes we see people going you know, a bit over the top with it and getting too super intense, and it's not really sustainable. But this just looks like it's sustainable. It's comfortable for him. He's the best tennis player in the world. I've done a few interviews with him over the years. And one year at Queen's, he was the tennis player nominated to go to all the corporate lounges. So you have to go into those different boxes. And there's people that don't really care, people that do care. And you're sort of having their lunch. And you go, hello, ladies and gentlemen. You feel really awkward, like interrupting everybody's lunch. And and one day I did that with Daniel Medvedev and off we went. And you end up saying very similar things. If you're going to six different corporate lounges, there's going to be elements of the same things that you go over. You know, there's some funny things, there's some interesting things. And he was brilliant. From the first to the last, even though he may have heard my question now six times, he would be engaging, he would be funny, he would try and make jokes. And this is when people were starting to get to know him. And he was just, as you say, he's just really friendly. You felt that you could ask him anything and he'd give you an answer on it. And I found him engaged. But then there's also that side of him on court. It's like a... It's like a six-year-old that hasn't got their way. So even at the end of the Australian Open final and all the emotions that go with that, that I don't know if you were on the, when they were doing the presentation ceremony and all the speeches were happening. And look, there's, there's a little bit in all of us that go, come on, a little bit quicker with the speeches. He was standing behind being a little bit petulant. You could see him sort of mouthing, this is boring. I don't want to be here. This is, you know, not that I'm approving of what he did, but there's that side to Medvedev. You know, there's there's a little bit of spice on court. And again, not everything we're going to say, you know, that's why he can go over the top. But I like the fact he's got that side to him. He's interesting. He's engaging. He's approachable. He's fantastic on the tennis court. And I like the fact I like the fact there's the side to him that he embraces. We talk about this with Djokovic. He tries to say, no, I'm amazing and we love everyone. I love the fact that Medvedev also embraces the kind of the darker side to Medvedev. I think he's brilliant. I think the sport is just a much better place with him in it, with him at the top of the rankings. I just think that he adds so, so much value. I think kids will love supporting him for years to yep. come. I think they'll yep. really, really get on board because look, we discussed this last time. It takes a long time to get people to love you. And it took a while for even the great Federer, you know, you don't just do it by winning a slam. People don't automatically love you or just by being number one. You, you It takes a while. And, uh, you know, for all of them, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, and I think for Medvedev, I don't think he's there yet, but I think his popularity is going to go through the roof. Really, it will. It's going to be awesome for him. Um, and yeah, I think it's just going to be a lot of fun if you're a Medvedev fan. Like I, th- I think that's sort of a, a group of people. I want to be a part of that. <laughs> Djokovic is, well, he'll always want more people to love him. I don't know whether he's at his love quota from people. I'm not sure. The start of the year hasn't really helped things, but he's back. He is back. He's out there. And and a word on Djokovic. I mean, he was he was number one for I mean, it was something like nearly seven years, wasn't it? it was 300, 361 weeks. Was it he was at? Yeah. Was at number one for? It's a lot. In a row. 
That's a lot, isn't it's it? It's a lot. I mean, that's... <laughs> It's it's I mean fair play to him the the for for what he's done and, and what he continues to do and and you know, he sent the message saying well done Medvedev and well done Yuri Vesely for beating me but Djokovic is back and something we talked about at the time but we didn't we didn't pod about at the time I think I think I was still sucked into the world of curling was the Novak Djokovic interview yes did the interview with BBC now what. Okay, so there was everything on social media. Breaking news, Djokovic speaks, first time since Australia, all comes out that I'm willing to sacrifice Roland Garros, Wimbledon. Ah. What did you think? I don't, firstly, did you watch it, listen to it? And secondly, what did you think of it? I did. Initially, I just sort of watched um, a, a few clips from it and then I did watch the, the whole thing. Um, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't that groundbreaking for, for me or for us, I think, people who knew what was going on. It sort of was what, we knew and what we expected that yeah he's not vaccinated and uh you know yeah that it was a mess in australia all round and he's part of that um but there are other people that contributed to it being a mess and that there are going to be torments he won't be able to play now like i don't know it was it, it, i was just sort of like oh okay but i i felt like he was the interview it was done on the bbc and it was it sort of felt like it was for everybody else, people outside of the tennis world, because his deportation had, of course, transcended tennis. It was front page news. It was headlines everywhere. Every radio station listened to it. It was absolutely everywhere. It was huge uh, in, in terms of that. I mean, oh, I mean, imagine what it was like in, in Serbia during that for his, you know, his, his real fans. Um, but yeah, I felt like the tennis world knew all of those bits, but it was an interview targeted at... Yeah, everyone else who had just paid attention to that story and maybe watch Wimbledon each year or or a pick a, a slam or even just the slams, whatever it might be, um, just to sort of clarify things and say this is the situation and this is where we're going. Because, uh, yeah, we knew that he was not vaccinated and as long as countries don't allow him in, uh, he won't be playing. Um, the rules, I mean... Are they going to change at some point? Yes, no, I don't know. I'm not an expert on politics. Uh, so he's just going to have to wait and see. And he's at the mercy of, of governments around the world. And and he seems fine with that. <laughs> no, 100%. I agree. I, as I say, I woke up the morning and there's all these headlines of breaking news. Djokovic has spoken and this is going to be an exclusive and this is just world breaking and world unbelievable. And I thought, oh, my, oh, wow. So I listened to a couple of the clips that were put out. I was like, no, no, got that. Yeah, I knew that. Knew he wasn't vaccinated. Okay, yeah, no, I, I got that as well. No, I definitely knew that bit before. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then I thought, you know, I should just listen to the whole thing in case there's something in there that maybe we didn't know. But it wasn't. It was all the same things. It was, and I think you're right. Yeah. I think it was, it, it was organised. It sounded like it was quite last minute. It was done, I think, wasn't it, at his tennis academy in Serbia? It was, it was a PR, PR exercise. We spoke of the importance of Djokovic's next move after he finally left Australia. He had to do something. He had to say something. What would it be? How would it be? Because he knew that once he returned to the tennis circuit at pre- and post-match press conferences, you know, it's a free-for-all. You can ask whatever, and Djokovic is asked whatever. So I think it was a concerted effort to try and dull some of that down and just do this big interview so he can always say, well, I've I've spoken about that, but it wasn't it wasn't anything new, and and they tried to make it very dramatic. You know, are you willing to, you know, take the hit and not go to Roland Garros? And he said, Yes, I am. 
But as we know that in recent weeks, I mean, I'm in France at the moment and I'm I have all my vaccinations, but nothing was asked to be seen when we came in. You know, it, it feels like it's getting back to normal. And we have heard that unvaccinated players will be able to take part in Roland Garros. So that so that's not a headline. And then will you take the hit on Wimbledon? Yes, I will. And we know the chances are he can play Wimbledon as well. So I was like, okay. And then by the time he gets to the US Open, the world can be a completely different place. I mean, that is a long, long way away. And in terms of Djokovic, yes, I think we've seen that the lack of tennis means he's a little bit undercooked and he needs those tournaments to get himself into the position to win Grand Slams. But in terms of the other titles and tournaments, say Andy Wells and Miami, he doesn't need them. He, he's been in the past, in recent years, using them to peak for the Grand Slams. You know, he's won the Masters, each of them at least twice. So he's done the Golden Masters Slam. He doesn't need those anymore. So it's not about these smaller tournaments anymore. It's about the titles, especially now Nadal's gone one ahead. So, yeah, the, the interview was, I, I agree. I had people coming up to, I had the same people who, where I live locally, who said to me, have you seen this stuff about Novak Djokovic and the visa and da da da? Those same people were coming up to me saying, "Have you seen the interview? He's willing to sacrifice Roland Garros and Wimbledon." I'm like, "Yeah, but he's going to be able to play." They're like, "Oh, and did you know he wasn't vaccinated?" Yeah, we pretty much knew. So, I agree. I think it was an interview because it transcended tennis for for everybody else. He needed he needed to do something to get it out there before he went to Dubai. And then the people that know him very well started questioning him. So whether it was good or bad, uh, it couldn't be worse than the place he was in. I think he needed to do something and I think it was fine. Was it breaking news? I think we'd have to say, I would think we'd have to say no, right? No? No, I mean, the only slightly interesting bit, but again, we we had sort of heard about this, was that uh, he didn't have a great reception when he was on site at Melbourne Park um, for the yeah. Open in terms of the other players. Uh, so that might be interesting just to see, you know, if he's back on the tour. Obviously, he's been in Dubai, but back in back on the tour, um, he's been at that tournament, what the, what the reaction is like. You know, it is that sort of, we know that 99% of the, the top 100 are vaccinated. There's one person who isn't. And that's, and that's him. There's no sort of hiding in the numbers. Like, oh, there's a few. Uh, it's just you. And everybody at the tournament will be looking at him like, it's just you. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Maybe governments will start lifting their restrictions and it will be fine. Um uh, you know, maybe it, they won't, and it, it won't be. Uh, who knows? Um, as I say, I'm not a politician, but he just he's just at the mercy of that now. So uh, we'll we'll have to see. But look, we want him playing. We want him at the tournaments. Um, you know, but we want it to be to be done in the best way possible. Really, jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Someone else to mention. It's You know what? I was thinking, you know, let's get a balance between ATP and WTA, but WTA are just getting on with it. <laughs> All the headlines, <laughs> good or bad, are coming out from the ATP. So- oh, but I can come in with WTA, though. Okay, well... Because I'm, finally... Right? 
Go on, but the Penko party. Uh, I was, it's back in town. I was going to say the one, on. the one WTA story would be Yelena Ostapenko. I mean, who's who's back redlining? I mean, this is where is where has this come from? This this run of we we knew that kind of tennis was there. Look, for heaven's sake, she's a Grand Slam champion, winning Roland Garros. But where has this run from Ostapenko come from? Hard work. That's where it's come from. From oh, she looks. Fantastic. I, I always enjoy watching her play. She plays the sport so differently. And we've got to remember that the likes of Krejcikova, Sfiontek, Raducanu, these new Grand Slam champions, she was the first one to do it out of the blue. She was the first one who just was not in the mix at all. She wasn't seeded at all. You know, you know yes, you had Muguruza wasn't necessarily a top three player when she won but you know people were talking about her like yeah she can win this thing it, it wasn't that absurd Ostapenko's was the first one that was completely absurd and then the rest of the tour have decided to one-up her because then you've got Krejcikova winning singles and doubles absurd even more absurd than Ostapenko and then Raducanu coming from qualifying to win <laughs> even more absurd it just sort of gets trumped all the time but she was the one that made the rest of the tour think that it's possible that you don't have to be a top five or even top 10 player to win a slam on the WTA. You don't have to do it. And, uh, and uh, she, and I, and I think that is incredibly groundbreaking and it takes a character like of whatever people think of her. It takes a character like hers to be able to think like that first before anybody else did and just go and win it, let alone beating the favorite for the tournament in the final from down. I can't remember how far down she was, but it felt like she was down a lot in that match against Halep. And now she's, um, She's back. I mean, she fell all the way down to 82 in the rankings. And I know this because I've been working on Doha this week uh, and watching her matches. She fell all the way down to 82 and it wasn't like she was injured. She just couldn't win. And again, it takes a certain amount of character to really stick to her guns. And she's been working and working. And she's ha she had a sneakily good year in 2021. The ranking got up fairly high. And then now she's just blasted through with... Um, Winning uh, last week in Dubai and then doing so well in Doha this week. Um, yeah, she's she's right up there. Uh, I I actually don't know. I know that she's she was just outside the top ten before Doha, so she might be looking at being inside the top ten. I I it's poor from me. I should know this, but uh, I can't remember what she needed to do in Doha to get into the top ten. Um, she dismissed Krejcikova absolutely dismissed her uh, I, actually I worked on that match and it did sort of feel like uh, there was a little bit of aggro early on I think it was d down to Ostapenko's movement before the serve because uh, she moves a lot uh, Krejcikova didn't like it complained to the umpire I think this was one all complained to the umpire they were sort of in this long game and then it was like juice or something and then obviously Ostapenko saw that she'd complained and then just hit two outrageous winners and then the biggest come on roar you've ever seen. And was thinking, come on, Barbora, we all know that you don't wind up Ostapenko. That's the <laughs> worst thing you can do. But she's looking fab. She's looking great. Um, just full of confidence. And uh, yeah, so, so dangerous. Yeah, what could she do? She's already won Roland Garros before. Could she win Wimbledon? You know, look, Ash is going to be the favourite everywhere she goes at the moment. She's head and shoulders the best player out there. Uh, but yeah, has she played Penko in Penko form? I don't think she has. So what? what's going to happen to Ash? Who knows? We'll see. It's so much fun.
The best two sets of facial expressions on the tours are Medvedev and Ostapenko. I mean, Ostapenko's, some of the, they make gifts out of them, don't they? Some of the facial expressions from Yelena Ostapenko. Now, tell me, you say you've been working on her matches this week. We know her mum was heavily involved from the start. She had a period of working successfully with Marion Bartley. Who's the team around Ostapenko at the moment? Well, her mum, Yelena's still there. She's been there there. from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, no, no, she's she's been through it all. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is funny because because Ostapenko really does sort of uh, like she just does con- continuously after every miss. It's amazing for a game where she hit like a game style that makes so many unforced errors. She is so just sort of gobsmacked every time she misses as if that couldn't possibly have gone out and just looks at her campus in like, what is going on? <laughs> How did that go out? It's just so funny. Oh, but yeah, no, honestly, just... Um, you know, she just looks really settled, uh, really calm. And, you know, we've always been a fan of Ostapenko here. And, you know, she's not all, she hasn't always behaved perfectly. But, you know, neither does Medvedev, neither does Djokovic. Federer didn't when he was a junior. Like, it's just, it's, they're human. They're human beings. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just, uh, yeah, can't wait to see what she does in slams now. And I think we always have to remember that, that these guys these guys are winning their titles young and having these life-changing moments when they're young and it not being expected. I, I think for me, the one who has come through it the smoothest in recent times is Iga Świątek. I really I stand by the fact that I think she stayed fairly consistent for rolling rolling guess. No, she wasn't then gonna win everything forevermore and she's recently changed coaches, but I think she stayed not ground is the wrong word. Maybe she didn't wasn't so I know she's working a lot with Daria Abramovich, the sports psychologist, but for me I think Sviontek navigated the waters post winning a Grand Slam when she wasn't expected to win a Grand Slam the best of, of the recent... I mean, Emma Raducanu, you can't even compare because it was ridiculously life-changing from one day to the next. But Ostapenko, again, was very young. Then immediately afterwards, it was back home and the photo shoots and the changing. And it, it, it is such a life-changing moment, especially when you're that young and there's that expectation then placed on your shoulders. And I think we, all, we always have to remember what they are going through at such a young age. Oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely. I, I don't. I think even Siontek has spoken a little bit about how it has been difficult with the expectations that she's had after that, and she's trying not to look at the number by her name now and stuff. But I agree, she's the one that you could say has navigated it okay. Um, I mean, yet to be seen about Emma, for example. I mean, it's just a bit too recent, yeah. so we'll we'll see. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, but they all, ha- much like everyone on the WTA, has Billie Jean King to thank for everything they're doing now. They, all of those Grand Slam champs have Ostapenko to thank because I don't think it would have been <laughs> as easy for them to do it uh, or even possible without Ostapenko blasting through in the way that she did and giving so much belief to the rest of the tour. So, uh, yeah, great to have her sort of back in business. It was rubbish when she was ranked sort of like 50, 60, just nowhere where she should belong. So hopefully she can stay up at the top of the game and uh, really irritate the other players as best she can. It was interesting when I was thinking about, because there are so many and there's still a big ATP story to deal with, but all the stories on the ATP side of thing and balancing it with the WTA, Ostapenko is definitely one of the stories. The other one was a story not played out on the tennis court, but a recent um, magazine interview with the Williams sisters, Harper's Bazaar, they were on the front cover and some interesting quotes 
came out about it. Everyone wondering about Serena Williams. Will we see her again? How much more will we see of her on a tennis court? Is it done? And Venus coming out with a quote saying they're looking forward to being free of tennis. I think saying that in the nicest possible way because it's something that... You know, we know the stories of Richard Williams when Venus was born. He put a racket, a tennis, a baby tennis racket in her hand. You know, that was that was her course. You know, her destiny was kind of set at that stage. So when they were young, they didn't have a choice. And then they grew to it being their career, their life, their love. And tennis stayed with them and not really thinking about it. But they've never been free. They've never had that freedom of once the rackets are put down to do exactly what they want to do. They have the money, they have the status, they have the fame, everything completely earned. But I thought it was really interesting her using the words freedom and and having that freedom to choose once their tennis careers finish. You hear those sorts of things quite a lot. Well, I do anyway from, from players. You often hear things like when people are approaching retirement that, oh, now my life can actually start it's like been on hold a little bit. I've just been busy doing this and now I can do all the things that I really want to do. And it's not that people didn't want to play or that they regret it. It's just that it is all consuming. And that's that's the nature of it. Um, and, you know, I've heard that um, a lot from from players. And I think players really look forward to the next stage in their life. And it is a bit of a... a a bit of a freedom I mean the amount of structure and routine you get from getting up training you know traveling around the world being at tournaments it's uh it's huge you sort of are a little bit institutionalized I mean Venus is still going I mean she could have had that freedom like 10 years ago (laughs) she she could have stopped whenever she wanted to um but yeah I, I agree that there is this very strange sort of emotion that goes on for players when they finish Uh, And the number of conversations I've had in being so proud of what they've done. They don't want to finish too early. They want to maximize. They want to keep going. But that they know that they're really looking forward to that next stage of life. And I do think that freedom is um, a big part of it. I suppose they had that one year, didn't they? One year, ages and ages ago, when Serena went and acted in soaps and Venus was doing all her fashion stuff where they just didn't play. Uh, And they had that time out there. Uh, but they obviously, you know, they obviously wanted to be back on the tour because they came back and then they stuck with it. It's not like they then popped off. They had like breaks here and there. They just have played solidly since whenever they can physically. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, look, the, the, they're already incredible businesswomen in what they've achieved and what they've done in terms of using their platform. I think they'll be busy enough <laughs> when they finish they're not gonna be sat at home twiddling their thumbs going oh god I don't, I'm just gonna have to go to the gym and do my training again uh but yeah no it's, it's a bit of a funny one when it, it comes to an end because you want it to come to an end but you don't right it's just good things coming to an end but there's better things around the corner it's just yeah it, it's a bit of a weird one you sort of got to go through it And I guess it's officially saying, isn't it? They haven't officially said it. They are still active tennis players. It's the difference between thinking about it and it actually becoming a reality, however much else you've got going on in your life. And as you say, I think think they're going to be kept busy. But that's that's that'll be the moment for them when they officially say the time has come and we're we're stepping away from playing. It'll be massive because it has been their their lives since they understood about their lives, hasn't it? I mean, the the film that came out recently. So we shall see if and where and when and how they pop up. The the other ATP story to deal with is Sasha Zverev. Acapulco. You're, you're, is, there, is there any excuse, any explanation for what he did? 
No, of course not. Uh, yeah, there's no place for it at all. Um, I think he's got a significant fine. I think they're still going to be looking into it. He was, of course, uh, defaulted from the singles as well as the doubles. Um, he was kicked out of the tournament. Um, all of those things, I think, are absolutely right. Uh, you know, he's not made any excuses. He has, you know, unreservedly apologised and said he can't really, you know, he, he, he really regrets what he did. Um, so, you know, I think that's the right thing for him to say. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was very concerning, wasn't it? It wasn't fun to, to watch it. I'm sure it was, you know, not fun to be the umpire in, in question as well. Um, just absolutely obliterating his racket right to the feet of, of the umpire. And it's dangerous. It's reckless. Um, and it was intimidating. That's the thing that I think I disliked the most about it. It was that it was sort of, it was deliberately intimidating of him. And, you know, that's slightly different to, uh, not slightly different, it's hugely different to uh, Shapovalov nailing the ball into the crowd and it hitting the umpire in the eye and fracturing his Skull, that of course is a default as well. Uh, or, or um, Djokovic when he got defaulted for for hitting the ball. You know those things are reckless and still need to be stamped out. You can't behave like that. You're sharing the court with other professionals. You're not the only one on the court. Um, but yeah, it was the sort of deliberate intimidation that was really not. It was really quite nasty, wasn't it? Which just wasn't wasn't nice to watch at all. The only thing, the only possible thing, and it is absolutely in no way an excuse. But he was on court until five o'clock in the morning, which, again, is just unacceptable. I, I cannot. It's just it, it, I, I don't know. It's just ridiculous. And it sort of irritates me that people put all this stuff on social media like, wow, like, as if it's a really great thing. It's just it's, it's just ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. We're talking five o'clock in the morning. Um, and. Uh, you know, look, he's played late matches before. And as I say, I don't think it contributed to what he did. But, you know, that's not a nice situation to be in. Uh, I personally don't think so. Um, that, you know, I say it all the time. I, I, it would be, if you said to me, you've got one thing you can change in tennis, one rule, it would be that no matches start after 11pm. You have a cutoff time. They can go on at 10.50 and they can play. It's still very, very late. It could still finish at two o'clock in the morning, but they just do not start past 11 p.m. Everybody goes home. That pl that match comes on just like if, as if it had rained and everything gets cancelled and you go home and, and that's that. Um, but no, no excuses really for Zverev. I think he knows that. I think the ATP uh, are aware of that. Um, at the moment, there's no suspension. I don't really think there will be a suspension um suspensions suspensions tend to come with consistent behavior right so you're saying if we go back to the nick kyrgios situation because a lot of people are saying well how come nick kyrgios um was suspended for his actions you would say that's because that's almost a build-up of bad behavior that results in a suspension whereas because this is a what hopefully is a one-off incident because they have said the ATP that they will undertake a further review of the incident following the fines and the loss of the ranking points the tournament but but in your mind the, the difference between because a lot of people have said to me well what about Curious's suspension for you that's because it was a a continuous build-up of, of bad behaviour and warnings that then led to the suspension. Yeah, warnings, defaults, um, fines, you know, it has to come to a point. It escalates and it comes to a suspension. I think to get a suspension on based on one incident, it would have to be very, very serious. Um, I do think this is more serious than 
the I mean, unless I'm mistaken and I cannot remember, uh, then in my opinion, then the majority of uh, Kyrgios incidents is because this is deliberately intimidating of somebody and that I think would warrant a, poten a potential look at a suspension. So um, I could see them giving it out and I could see how it would be fair. Um, I could also see them saying, you know, you haven't done anything like this before. And he hasn't on the court. Um, you know, there, there hasn't been anything really. I mean, you know, yeah, he's said things, he's done things, but nothing out of the ordinary that that is sort of a, a little bit more tolerable. You know, this could be an anomaly and does that warrant a suspension you know so I could see it going either way really if with him sort of get picking up a suspension for six months or something um I think if he did it would be uh, a pretty tough uh response to his behavior as I say I'm not saying that it would be wrong I'm not saying it's too harsh but it is harsh uh, and I think what he's been dished out so far is probably a little bit light so whether maybe they'll be do you know what they'll probably land in the middle do something like a suspended suspension suspended Susp suspended suspension <laughs> oh god what's that um you know so it, like, a, like a probation period so he's got he can't he can't act up for the next year otherwise he gets a six-month suspension something like that I think is probably the most likely um but it could there could be nothing and I don't think that it's outrageous if there was nothing um you know I don't I don't think so he was kicked out of the tournament swiftly and he's been handed a pretty hefty fine um so, yeah, really. It was rubbish. It was really not very nice to watch. It, it was awful. And I think I was discussing this with a couple of people and they said to me, well, and I was being really like, yes, it's right. He was thrown out. I think he should receive a suspension. They need to come down on him. And then someone said to me, are you clouded by everything else that's going on with Zverev? Because we know there are the allegations off the court and they are apparently due to be being investigated by the ATP. I said, no, not at all. I said, it's got nothing to do with that. But separating it out, it's what you said there. It was normally if you see a player having a breakdown so Djokovic at the US Open he was angry at himself at the situation the ball ended up at the line judge but he Zverev was reckless was, he was reckless but he wasn't his anger his ire wasn't towards that line judge it, it, yeah. she was she was she was not in his thoughts and Shapovalov wasn't like this situation is horrible I'm so angry it's his fault I'm heading towards him in the chair whereas Zverev it is, it is so I'll, I'll just jump in sorry to interrupt but just to say when it comes to the rules and what they actually put into place it is with a lot of these rules, when it's major offences, a lot of it is about it being directed at a member of staff. It, that is um, at one of the officials. That is a big thing. So uh, if we think back to the Serena Williams situation, US Open final, I know originally yep. it was just a yep. coaching violation, but then her outburst became very directed at the umpire. And that was why it was not tolerable because it was... Uh, you know, it basically it ticks a box for the warning, and you know, two of those, and you're you're in serious trouble. Uh, she was whereas if she had just been, Carlos like, Ramos's character, exactly, and, yeah. exactly, yeah, and it, you, you know, you can, you know, I've played doubles with somebody who went to the back of the court and shouted something in uh, into the air, not looking at the the umpire at all, uh, but said, uh, "Oh, we've just been absolutely cheated out of that game." And she got a warning straight away because the implication is directed at the umpire that the umpire is is questioning in some way the, corrupt, questioning the integrity. Questioning the 
And again, yeah. so it's very specific that, you know, and, and for Djokovic, look, that's an automatic default because he's injured somebody and he's he's hit someone with the ball. But, um, you know, yeah, it, that that really is a, a zero tolerance policy that the ATP and WTA have uh, in that if it's if if you are directing like it's not necessarily even just directing your anger at them. It is if you are specifically like. You know, and the combination of what he said and his actions, the fact that he went back a second time as well. So you can't even just say it was heat at the moment. He got up and did it again. Um, you know, all of that stuff makes it feel like it was actually just a really nasty attack on the umpire. Um, and yeah, really intimidating. Yeah, it was it was really awful. And and as and I agree with you, if there is a, a suspension, uh, suspension, I will understand why there is. I, I do think there seem I just think there needs to be something other than money because these guys have money. They've they've got all the money in the world. And, you know, yeah, and all that and, happens and, is it's not like they write a check for that money. All that happens is that at the next tournament, they just take that off your prize money. So you just don't receive as, as much. So you don't ever really feel like you're giving money. You just, they just take it out of your next paycheck. And it's what, $71,000 in total, which, which to you and me, that'd be an awful lot. But to, to Zverev, who probably doesn't even handle the money side of things, he won't even know that that's gone and he'll miss the ranking points. But the, yeah, you know, so I just, I just think something needs to be done to say, you cannot do that but it, for so many, so many reasons that, that cannot happen. And, and you have to... Would you be disappointed if he didn't get a suspension? Would you think yeah, that's too and, light? Uh, yeah, and I'm not saying suspend him for six months here. Well, maybe, I don't know, three months, maybe something. I just think it has to... Look, with, with, with our six-year-old boys, we talk about consequences, right? We say actions have consequences. They are six. Something as silly as though, uh, I don't know, it's, it's two degrees and they go out in shorts and a T-shirt. And I'm, I'm like, what are you doing? They're like, we're fine. We don't need a jumper or trousers. I'm like, fine, but there's consequences. You know, if you if you come back and you get a cold or you fall over, you know, they you, you kind of have to learn to a degree that actions have consequences, right? And and there has to be a consequence to your action. And and I think it was very again taking seventy one thousand dollars away that he won't even realize because whoever deals with his money that will be dealt with. He won't even know that's gone. If someone took that from me, which I don't have, <laughs> I'd really miss it. <laughs> uh, and if they took away my rank points and really miss them um he that's not going to bother him so i think it has to be something that that's the consequence of his action and in his actions they were horrible i mean that that was really intimidating and and very nasty and yes i know he was in action till five in the morning and then they came out and there was the doubles and they lost the doubles and he was playing with his best friend marcelo Mel. but none of that excuses what he did and yeah i, I believe you know actions as i say i'm i'm telling six-year-old boys about actions and consequences and i know you can't have you can't watch that cartoon if you do you know actions consequences so I I do think, as I say, I'm not saying spend him for a year, but what about three months? You know, what about just make it affect, make it, make, it has to hurt. He has to realize that, you know, anyone can put out a statement. We can all put out a statement saying, you know, I'm really sorry and I didn't mean to do this. And But he did it and he needs to realize that that is not acceptable. Even though it's his first offense? Yeah, because it, it, it was outrageous. It was outrageous. Yeah, what, it was so, bad. so, so, what you do, you you don't you don't suspend him. He take has money taken away from him that he won't even miss, and ranking points he won't miss. And what if for some reason it happened again, and this time he connected with the umpire's chair, or he connected with someone else, or something happens? Maybe a suspension, whether it be 
two, three, four, five, six months, and he has to think he will realize that he is not able to do the job that he says he absolutely loves. He'll be missing some big tournaments. It will it will actually then have an effect because taking away that money is that doesn't have an effect that you know players you guys find tournaments all over the world for smashing a racket and bad languages and you know fines happen all the time so I, I just think a little more of something and again I'm not I'm not I'm only relating it to this one incident I just think I just think there needs to be consequences to his actions and and that was very very intimidating I, it shouldn't be allowed that I don't want people watching tennis and seeing someone doing that kind of thing in, in the sport that we love. And I just think that action needs to be taken. Full, I yep, would say agreed. And I, you know, and I was thinking though, in the, is there another sport in the world where you guys as tennis players get asked about so much stuff? So after this very thing happened, Andy Murray's asked about Novak Djokovic has happened. Andre Rublev is being asked about the situation with Russia and Ukraine at the moment. When COVID was happening, people were asked about COVID protocols, vaccinated or un... Is there another sport where athletes get asked about so many world issues, where you guys are sat in front of the world's press being asked about things that are huge things taking place on the world stage that have nothing to do with your sport? I, I don't... Well, I see more of the answers and more of these questions in tennis because I follow tennis, but I don't see it as much in other sports. Um, yeah, it's this whole thing, and we've done a bunch of podcasts on this, and, and I, I can't remember whether you, you necessarily think this or not, but like, it's this whole difference between being an athlete and a role model. And I don't believe that one automatically means the other. I don't believe that they are automatically role models. Somebody might choose for them to be a role model, but somebody might choose for somebody else. Like you could choose anyone to be a role model. It could be some famous drug addict in like musician in the papers or whatever. Like as in, I don't think it's their responsibility um, just because they're on a platform. I think, I think that most people, I would be the same, that if I was in that situation, I would very much feel the responsibility and want to act accordingly. But I don't believe that that you have to. Um, And yeah, they do get a lot of questions. I felt I felt bad for Rublev having to answer these sorts of tough questions. You know, this is his this is his country. He also lives the privileged life of being able to speak fantastic English and fly around the world and see all of the other media and the Western media, see the other points of view, um, you know, for him to come to his conclusion. But yeah, I really feel for them. And, you know, people asking those questions have got to understand that, you know, they're young people and they have a platform and, Saying the wrong thing could get them in some serious trouble. Like, you know, it it could uh, when you are from these sorts of regimes. And that's, you know, we always talk about our, our freedom of speech, whether it's in, you know, the UK or the US or or, or, or anywhere in those sorts of countries. And, and that's one of the biggest things that, that we have is being able to speak against our own government. Uh, and, and say what we want um, and it, it's not the case everywhere so I think the expectation that they would comment and comment honestly and get sort of pressed on it as well I think it's a bit harsh I don't know what you think but I just felt I just thought oh yeah. god Rublev's being asked about this I mean he's not you know he's not a politician he's not <laughs> he's, he's literally playing tennis and I thought he did really well to give a bit of an opinion but you know it's it's brave for him to do that yeah, it's really brave. And I think it's it's really hard. These are young guys and girls who are working hard in the sport 
they love and they're coming into these press conferences and there can be very sometimes very few questions about the actual match and what they've actually done because people they have agendas good and bad agendas but they have they have their agendas they say oh right we have Andre Rubel in front of us so we will ask x y and z and through the Djokovic thing all the all the players being asked to give their opinion should Djokovic be allowed in should he have been kicked out should everyone be vaccinated I was just thinking that it's actually and I know we've spoken a lot in the past around Naomi Osaka with last year at Roland Garros when she said, look, I'm not going to be taking questions from the media. And we sort of dealt with that. Should she or shouldn't she? And 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 we talked about some of these press conferences. You will get journalists who don't work in tennis. You know, I know a lot of people went to Dubai for Djokovic who don't work in tennis. You know, their editors said, hey, the world number one, the guy that was kicked out of Australia is going to Dubai. Off you go, because you get to sit in the press conference, take your seat, put your hand up. They will come to you. You ask your question. The question is out there. So, you know, there's a, there a lot of people that will go to press conferences that, that don't work in the sport. And, and it's a chance to get a quote or something. But I, I was just thinking the other day when, when everything that has evolved in the last couple of days in the world, that these guys, you know, they, they're coming off a win and suddenly it's it's quite a heavy load, I think, to take. And as you say, quite... And I think Andre Rublev spoke really, really well. But I think as a tennis player, you've got to be prepared for anything when you go into that press conference because it, it does feel like, you know, whatever's going on in the world, you're kind of right. We can ask, I don't know, Novak Djokovic or Andy Murray or whoever it is, we can ask them about what's taking place. And especially with the situation at the moment, it's, I don't know, I think it's pretty heavy stuff to, to have to go into a but press they, conference. They and can, and, and this is the thing after with... Osaka they can and for any question they get asked they can say they don't want to answer it they can say that yeah. there's no comment so um you know it is difficult um for sure but, but sometimes people jump to conclusions if you ask them a question say he was asked a question about the situation in Russia and Ukraine and he said no comment I don't want to talk about it there will be people who will jump to conclusions about the I don't want to answer that do you see what yeah, I mean so but it, yeah, it's no, kind for of sure but you can't control like that. almost he, he has to therefore think well it's better to give and answer and speak about it. And he spoke about it very well because there'll be those saying, well, no comment must equal. And, it, it, you know, it's not two and two equals four all the time. But I don't know, I was just thinking about it recently that, that you guys, I, I can't think of other sports. I remember Arsene Wenger used to be asked all sorts of things that weren't necessarily about football, but tennis players are, wow. I mean, you guys get asked yeah. about anything and everything. You? pretty much <laughs> yeah literally all all the time and it, and it can be difficult especially when you're young you don't really know what you think on a lot of these things you're just <laughs> sort of repeating what else you've heard but uh well I, on that note i'm i am gonna have to uh head off i'm afraid um but of course all of our thoughts are with everyone in ukraine <laughs> 